The Athletic. Totally Football Show. After a weekend when the Premier League paused to mark the passing of Her Majesty the Queen, we're talking Chelsea with Graham Potter. How will it work? Brighton without Graham Potter. Same. Liverpool's must-not-lose Tuesday night game in Europe and why Ajax might be the worst opponents possible and Diego Costa back at Wolves. All of that and more in this Totally Football Show. Monday the 12th of September, listener. Thank you so much for joining us. Your Totally Football Show here with you regularly. As ever, uh, Daniel Stories with us of the eye. Hi, Daniel. Good morning, James. Also from the Athletic, we've got your Jack Lang. Hey, Jack. Hello. And from the formerly Athletic, we've got Joby McEnough, uh, <laughs> ex-player, now turned analyst. Still, still very Athletic, of course, Joby. Morning, Jim. Joby, you're also working with the FA these days. Is that right? I am. Yeah, I'm now uh, a fully fledged member of the board, which has been a real. I suppose, interesting uh, point of view in terms of looking at football from from that side of things. A lot of my experience is obviously around the football pitch, whether that was playing, coaching, managing. So it's been really good to, yeah, just get that perspective from, I suppose, a broader spectrum. It covers such a, a vast area of, of the whole game in this country. And, you know, they do, you know, such good work down to grassroots level. And I think from, again, an ex-playing point of view, it's good to be able to just be in there and, and be around certain conversations and, and maybe give that side of things. Debbie Hewitt, the chair, is very, very keen to get, you know, a, a perspective of a, an ex-pro, but really recently mm. out of the game, he's still very much in touch with it. And certainly that's been very well received and, and very well taken on so far. Excellent. And do you have any word as such on what the situation is going to be vis-a-vis fixtures next weekend? for the Premier League and beyond? No, not yet. I do believe there are some meetings going ahead this week. I think the first thing was obviously dealing with the immediate aftermath of of the sad passing of the Queen that was done. And clearly there's going to be some issues around, I think, policing. Um, But again, I think it's one of those situations of trying to figure it all out as best Mm. we can to do the best we can first and foremost, I think, for the Queen, which I think is the most important thing. Um, I do think at times football does have to take a backseat, you know, for something with such a, a huge magnitude. So, you know, I think that'll be the first port of call and then the football will be sorted out around that, I believe. It is suggested that the games in the capital are the ones that maybe won't go ahead with police officers likely to be redeployed to manage the state funeral of Queen Elizabeth II. Uh, London Games next weekend were scheduled to be Spurs-Leicester on Saturday and Brentford-Arsenal on Chelsea-Liverpool on Sunday. Daniel, do you have any word on that? Well, the one option that we've heard is perhaps to reverse the fixtures, which works in every case other than obviously Brentford-Arsenal, which doesn't make a huge amount of difference given it's London versus London. I suspect clubs would be slightly um, wary of doing that. Um, the other issue as well as policing, we've heard this morning, is is practicalities of sky cameras and TV trucks because they've all been commandeered understandably by Sky News over the last few days and the the expectation is that will probably continue next weekend so it's not just policing Um, I I think it's fair to say that if this weekend was about respect then next weekend is more the issue is about the practicalities and the kind of admin of it but I suspect at least two of those games and maybe more will will have to be postponed for another time 
Crikey. Well, if it is Chelsea Liverpool, it means an unexpected bedding in time for their new manager, Graham Potter, who was confirmed as the new Chelsea boss after our last show. Hmm. It's a good place to start this week's pod, actually, uh, with Graham Potter. Daniel, you called this the most fascinating managerial appointment in 25 years of the Premier League. Why? Yes, since Arsene Wenger, I think, um, in that he feels like into the environment he's moving into, he feels like a an emphatic outsider and a very unusual outsider. Firstly, because managers don't tend to leave one Premier League club for another in mid-season anymore. It's not happened since December 2014 when Alan Pardew went from Newcastle to Palace and, to be honest, was kind of on his last legs at, at Newcastle anyway. So, yeah, this kind of mid-season promotion is incredibly unusual. And also because Graham Potter is probably the most obvious in inverted commas, project manager in the Premier League. And Chelsea are, or had become, this kind of world-class, short-termist manager club and had made it work very, very well. So it's a it's a remarkable appointment. I, I, I can see why they've done it, but it's going to take a huge amount of patience and faith and a kind of transfer of power from Todd Bowley to, to Graham Potter for it to work, I think. Mm. Jack, what, what do you think? Is it going to work? How are Chelsea going to look under Potter? Uh, I, I hope it works because I, I would like to I like the idea of a future when there are slightly more maybe not left field but more creative braver managerial appointments I mean as Daniel said we've been you know I'd say for the past four five seasons we've had the same small group of names linked with every job and you know some it grows by one or two and shrinks by one or two now and again you know Max Allegri is now not in those conversations when he was two seasons ago, for example, but it's been fairly consistent across the the big six. Potter, I think Daniel's right, it does mark a a slight change of approach. I think it's a really good appointment from Chelsea's perspective. I can see why Potter took the job as well. I know there's, uh, you know, I'm I join the people who are a bit disappointed that he's not going to see the Brighton project through to to whatever its fruition may have been. I think that, you know, he could have taken them even further than he has taken them. But I think from his perspective, it's obviously a massive moment personally, just financially, but also it's a, it's a chance to do something on, uh, on a level above Brighton. So I think it ticks boxes on both sides. I'm really excited to see how it works. But I, yeah, I, I do harbour those fears that will be there whenever Chelsea appoint a manager. This is someone who's who's used to having a lot of time, and you know, Chelsea the uh, the vultures will always start to circle within three or four bad results. Daniel, you mentioned compatibility or otherwise with the Chelsea board and their way of doing things. What what about with the players? It's been pointed out that this is one of the most decorated dressing rooms in world football, which is quite a leap up with all due respect from from Brighton. How Joby do you think they're going to feel about a manager who's really only won the Swedish FA Cup does that make a difference to players in the way they relate to managers I think it can do but not in this case because all those players would have seen how well he's done with Brighton with with the greatest respect to the squad and and the players he had at his disposal there not as high caliber as he's going to go and work with now and listen I think any of those players that have come up against a Brighton team will you know appreciate you know, the job that he did there and what a good football team they were. And I think certainly from the Chelsea players' point of view, it's not going to be a major shock in terms of 
listen, style of football. You know, there'll be players there that, that want to get on the ball and, and make things happen and play the way that he wants to do, certainly there now. I, I see it as a win-win, I've got to be honest, from his point of view. If he goes there and manages to transfer all the things that he's done successfully at Brighton and, and turns Chelsea or, or keeps them in terms of that successful curve I suppose they've been on generally you are still talking about what is success at Chelsea Football Club and that'll be I'm sure Thomas Tuchel's point of view they're up against two of the best teams we've seen in the Premier League finished third you know last season two cup finals so what is success I think is a big question at Chelsea but I think keeping things moving positively making sure they get into the Champions League I certainly can't see it being a problem from the players point of view if it doesn't work out for him you know, and the progress that he's made, he then probably drops back down to a reasonable level Premier League club because everybody understands that Chelsea managers sometimes aren't <laughs> given the time. So that for me is a, a real big factor in this. Will they give him the time to implement his style at Chelsea? It will be a departure from what we've seen in the past from the ownership, but of course with new owners going there, I'm sure they'll take that into account. Um, but I'm I'm really happy with... Chelsea making this decision. We want young English managers having opportunities to manage at top four clubs. It seems as though there has been a ceiling in in years gone by. And again, for a, a young coach who's gone out and he's he's put the hard yards in, you look at his coaching journey, you know, work with the Ghanaian women's team, you know, goes over to Sweden, you know, comes back here, Swansea, then jumps to Brighton. And for me, it's a real step in the right direction for coaches to to get out there and get that experience. You know, you can't just walk in. We've seen so many ex-pros walk into big jobs without necessarily having that experience and I think that is the biggest thing in his favour and I think it well I really hope for his sake it will be successful. Mm. In terms of success for Chelsea I mean it's worth pointing out they're the reigning world club champions at the moment Chelsea might you know privately say it wasn't a lack of success per se that did for Thomas Tuchel as much as his relationships with people inside the club over the the opening months or the summer and the opening months of this season and uh, Potter who's completed a master's let's not forget at Leeds Metropolitan University in leadership and emotional intelligence might be better suited to handling the unique power structure at that club Jack you mentioned the uh, sometimes expanding sometimes shrinking pool of uber managers who will be on top clubs roller decks in time of need is Tuchel still on that or has he just had his card ripped out and torn up yeah I think he's still on it definitely I think the way he achieved pretty much instantaneous success at Chelsea. I think even just the tenderness that you know, has, has come out in the last few days from some of the players, like someone like Thiago Silva was you know, posting. I, I, I know players do tend to post, you know, it's been a pleasure boss type things after a manager goes, but there did seem to be an extra level of affection there. And yeah, I, I, I don't think, necessarily his card is going to be marked by this i think mm. in the same way as joby said if, if potter gets burnt by this i don't think it'll go down on his cv you know chelsea for a manager in many ways is a you know it's a it's the kind of thing that you do tend to leave blameless yeah um and so for tuchel yeah i mean maybe added to his added to his psg experience i think maybe a little of the shine may have come off since uh, since Dortmund, but I think he'll still be in those conversations, certainly when the next few jobs come up. I wonder if he's almost painted himself deliberately or otherwise now as this kind of 
in a very small group of managers who are these kind of elite club firefighters. We're used to seeing those firefighter managers parachuted into relegation battles and that that typically was in the Premier League was the kind of British manager forte. Mm. Tuchel now because of his instant success and the way it it does tend to kind of tail off second third year almost has become like a a firefighter for an elite club. I suspect he would like well I don't think there are many others I mean Mourinho. Would Poch be in there? Well he's had his greatest success when he's had time to work Mm. Uh, and, and I think managers probably see it as a stigma being seen as a firefighter I think they 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 see it as well you can do that but it leaves a big gap on your CV so I suspect Tuchel would slightly resent that reputation I think he would he would be best his next club choice to do something where he can kind of work for a while and build it because at the moment he's kind of pushing himself down a particular road of of manager which is not something he'd done at Dortmund Mm, he should go to Brighton for the bands well we'll talk (laughs) maybe in a second or two about how Chelsea will look hmm Maybe, if we have some strong opinions about that under Graham Potter. But we should hear now about uh, the Seagulls, who were uh, due to be facing Bournemouth this weekend, having seen their entire coaching team walk out the door. What happens to them now? What happens to what had been, till last week, their best season ever? We're joined by The Athletic's Andy Naylor. This is The Totally Football Show, part of The Athletic Podcast Network. Andy, quite a shock for the Seagulls after their brilliant start to the season, losing the entire coaching staff. What's the mood there? Yeah, there's no getting away from the fact that it's a it's a big disappointment, and obviously to lose Graham, the job he was doing, and for five of his backroom team to have gone with him, um, that is a big blow. It's fair to say I think that three of those, i.e., his uh, assistant Billy Reed, the coach Bjorn Hamburg, and the uh, recruitment analyst Kyle McCauley was pretty much expected because he's worked with them for 10 years. Mm. And brought, I think that's them we can hear leaving now, is it? Or <laughs> and um, the, the two that have kind of grated a bit with supporters is uh, Bruno Salter, former club captain, who Graham added to his coaching team, and also the long-serving goalkeeping coach, Ben Roberts. So it has left a big hole. The advantage they've got which is really quite unprecedented in a way when you think of what would be the normal situation of a club losing their head coach six games into a season they've got three weeks they've got a three-week gap before Mm. they play next against Liverpool on October 1st so they've got that window to really take a bit of time and review the shortlist of candidates because they've it's always an ongoing looking forward process with Brighton. They so they will have had knew. candidates already in mind. Absolutely. They mm. they they kind of work on the basis, particularly as obviously Graham progressed the team, that there would be a point in the future where they would be looking for a replacement. So they're always monitoring, keeping eye on on coaches, managers globally really, uh, who might be doing good jobs, who might have some sort of similarities in playing style but clearly the difficult bit with that is they don't know when it's going to happen so Mm. then and this is what's happening now they go back look at the circumstances as they are now absolutely you mentioned the three-week gap until the next play if uh, next Saturday's game with Crystal Palace doesn't go ahead now that was originally postponed even before last week's news because of a rail strike but last week's news has meant that that rail strike has now been postponed so I guess there's a possibility the match with Palace might 
be back on, or is that definitely no, off? N- no, definitely off. That definitely game is off. not taking place. Definitely off. The reason for that is that there's demands on Sussex and Surrey police hmm. uh, to back up their colleagues in the Met, um, bearing in mind with the Queen's funeral, there are going to be leaders from all across the world um, coming to London. So police resources are going to really be stretched. There's no chance that that game's going to be resurrected. Hence that three-week gap that they've got. Okay, three weeks then with under-21s coach Andrew Crofts in charge with Adam Lalana as a kind of joint player manager. Is that how that's going to work? Um, Well, I've seen one or two reports, which I think is a bit misleading. I saw in one or two places the description was Adam Lalana player-manager at Brighton, Mm. while... That's not quite the case. Um, It's very much... It's basically Andrew Cross is the under-21s coach. Crofts has got considerable experience. He was a former Welsh international, played in the Premier League at Norwich, played for Brighton in two spells in the Championship. The beauty of the situation, if you like, is that Adam is currently injured. Um, So he's sidelined. Ironically, their target date for him to return is around about the Liverpool game on October 1. But because he's injured at the moment, it would be sensible, really, wouldn't it, to take advantage of somebody with his experience that's there, that has a real vocal influence. We, we saw this when during the COVID lockdown when there were no supporters. The voice that you could hear most out on the pitch was Adam Lalana's. They've, they've got a, a core of experience in, in the squad Graham Potter's left behind, but there are also a lot of young players uh, from from abroad, from around the world. So it really makes sense to um, to have Adam helping out in that role alongside Andrew Crofts, just as an interim, just, just, just to calm things down, mm. really, in the interim. OK. Liverpool game will be special, of course, for Lalana. Longer term, the names in uh, Brighton's file... We heard about Steve Cooper of Forest, of course. Uh, Postacoglu's doing wonders at Celtic. Nathan Jones at Luton. Roberto De Zerbi, who was a, a massive success at Sassuolo and uh, left to Shakhtar Donetsk, his most recent job because of the uh, Russian invasion there. What's your? Is there already one candidate in particular who kind of thoughts are solidifying around? As I understand it at this stage, no. There are a list of names. Uh, Tony Bloom, the owner-chairman, Chief Executive Paul Barber and the Technical Director David Weir. That's the trio who will be driving this process. They met in London yesterday, Sunday, to basically look at, at, at the names and to review the situations, to look at candidates and, and where they're at right now. Um, another name that I don't think you mentioned there, and you'll have to forgive me for my probable mispronunciation because my Norwegian's not very good. Ketil Knutsen, mm. uh, Bodo Glimt. That's why I didn't mention um, it. <laughs> he's, uh, he's, now, I, th- I think the quite interesting thing about him is the similarities, really. There are some similarities there with Graham Potter. Um, and what he, what Graham Potter did in Sweden with Ostersunds. Uh, but that's one uh, one of the areas I was talking about. These different candidates. On the one hand, you're going to have people within jobs, and then there's a process to go through. Brighton have to follow a process where they're going to have to ask the, the club's permission to speak to these people. Mm. Then there are other cases like Deserbo, who's currently out of work, having left Shakhtar. 
um, following the um, Russian invasion of Ukraine. So there are different scenarios in each case. I think what they'll do is make as much use as they can of the time they've got available to be as deep. They're always detailed in their process in any way Mm. to really take a long, hard look uh, uh, who's going to be best to follow in uh, Graham Potter's shoes. All right. Well, a massive change then for the Seagulls, but not one that they have been caught unprepared for. Andy, thank you so much for that. Look forward to catching up with you again for further updates. Thanks for having me. Little slice of Sussex life there from Andy Naylor's back garden, which uh, backs on to Brighton's <laughs> training ground, conveniently enough. I thought you were going to say the airport. <laughs> <laughs> Clearly, there's an airport in the in the. Andy, I don't know if everyone, anyone's ever told Andy, but his voice is the spit of Stuart Pearce's voice. Is when it? He's talking absolute spit of Stuart Pearce, like really sort of really calm, but with a kind of that that southeast draw mm. through it. It's lovely. It was very soothing. Mm. Very soothing. Um, bad news about the player manager angle, though, because I was really excited to see <laughs> a player manager in the in the Premier League. We haven't had a, a proper player manager in the Premier League since I think Gianluca Vialli back in mm. in '99. There've been one or two interims. I've got a list here. Actually, do you want to try and name the four interim player managers in the Premier League since 2000? Uh, was Hayden Mullins one? No, he's too old by nope. then, isn't he? Um. Think Swansea. Uh, Alan Tate. No. G- Gary, Monk. Gary Monk. Yeah. Gary no. Monk. Yeah, producer yeah. Charlie's already got his hand up, but sadly he doesn't have a microphone. So. <laughs> Can we have the other clubs, please? Yeah. Okay, so Gary Monk came in after Michael Loudrop was sacked, but also at Swansea there was another one. Again, producer Charlie's in there. Producer Charlie, who did you win the Opta quiz, Charlie? What did you win? Came fourth in the Opta quiz, which is... Not even a medal. I mean, it's Champions League places. Uh, so, all right, I, I, shall I tell you? Tell us the other two clubs, maybe, oh. I don't know. All right, well, so the other one at Swansea, do you want to guess that? Le- or Leon no? Britton? There you go, Jack Lang. Good that was after Paul job. Clement. Bit the dust. Uh, the other two clubs? Mm. Bradford? Uh, Weatherall? No, Weatherall? Stuart McCall. McCall. Oh, Late wow. 2000. And this is kind of the most obvious one. The answer was at Man United, Ryan Giggs. Ryan Giggs. All right. Of course, more recently, you've seen Vincent Company at Anderlecht in 2019 and 2020. Wayne Rooney, caretaker player manager at Derby County. More recently than any of those, though, was Leighton Orient 2021 when a certain Joby McEnough took over. 16 games after Ross Embleton's exit. From the club in February, how did Joby do? He won six, lost six. Joby, what was that like? <laughs> uh, tough. Um, I would certainly not advise it to any uh, budding coaches or, or managers while you are still playing. I actually decided that I couldn't do both to start with hmm. because I had to sort of go in and, and try and put my, I suppose, ideas and philosophies. And I thought it was important for the players to see me not just as Joby, the teammate, but as... Right. The manager, so I Mr. Mackinough, something like that. Yeah, it's a bit like what <laughs> I you? do with, with my yeah. kids. Yeah, um, and it was okay. Won the first game. I'd sort of probably about two two weeks where I wasn't actually involved in in the training side of things. Unfortunately, results weren't. I say particularly great. I was at the time 
still one of the the better players, shall we say. And there was a bit of a conversation with the chairman um, and the directors about uh, trying to get back on the pitch. And it, it was tough. I've got to be honest, it's a hard thing to, to try and combine both. The whole dynamic changes. So going from, you know, having a chat with the boys at breakfast, you know, mm. and being around the group on, on the back of the bus. I was a bit of a card, like a little bit of cards to sort of while away the hours on, on the coach. But you know, you certainly can't do that where you've got everyone's eyes on you. Like, am I playing tomorrow? If I'm not playing, they're clearly not your mates anymore. And even mm. actually training, you've got to be careful because there's lads going around trying to smash you because, you know, they're, <laughs> they're angry they're not playing. So it, it was a, a tough dynamic in terms of actually doing the work itself. Again, with management, there's so much to it. You have to be so focused on, you know, what the preparation's like for your team, but also opposition analysis. So, um it, it was challenging. We actually started, I think we only lost two of our first 12 and then we had a, a poor end to the season, which I think curtailed my chances of, of getting it full time in the end and they went with a bit more experience. But it was a great um, insight into life. I would love to have done it probably without the extra demand of, of playing as well, but um, gave it a good bash and yeah, enjoyed it. It was good. Nice one. Excellent. All right, Chelsea under Graham Potter, just to finish off this 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 is vast opening section, uh, Daniel. Anything in particular that we, we think it's gonna it's gonna mean his arrival there? Well, the only the, the only natural fit that jumps out in terms of playing style is that Brighton have an awful lot of attacking midfielders and no goal scoring striker, hmm. and they're going to perhaps the most obvious club in the world for non goal scoring strikers. And now suddenly, because their summer purchases have an awful lot of attacking midfielders, so that kind of works. Yeah. Okay. I wonder if Chelsea will also adopt the uh, the Brighton tactic on the on the Twitter team sheets of no numbers, no order, no graphic. Which I, I think that played a big part in the uh, the Potter tactical mystique. You know, he's mm. got no idea which attacking midfielder is going to be playing wing back on a given week. You know, Solly March left footer out on the right, but his name doesn't correspond to any kind of position in that list. Fantastic. Uh, Fantastic development, I think that was, and yeah, it should be used more. There, there were some suggestions as well that Kukureya might be a bit dismayed to find himself back in a dressing room with with Graham Potter. Am I have I misunderstood that, or was I, there somebody I, else? That... Someone did say that, and it completely baffled me. Like, surely mm. he'd be delighted. Yeah. yeah, he feels like he's got the movie wanted and still got the manager he wanted. Yeah. Mm. Sounds perfect. very nice. Very he, didn't, nice. he didn't leave to get away from Potter. I don't think. Well, no. as far as we know, as far as we know. And Potter, Potter can't give him any stick for jumping ship because he's done exactly the same thing. So, uh, yeah. you know. All right. Well, that's the whole Graham Potter saga. Up next, oh, we're going to hear about Diego Costa's exciting move to the Midlands. And then a little bit later on, look ahead to Tuesday night's absolutely crucial Liverpool Ajax game. All of that to come on the Totally Football Show. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes 
and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobeUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. We're all driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. You can use Indeed for scheduling, screening and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. According to their own survey, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. Remember the last time you were hiring and how slow and overwhelming it was? Well, you don't need to go through all that again. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent. And because you listen to The Totally Football Show, Indeed is going to give you a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash totally. That's I-N-D-E-E-D.com slash totally. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed at Indeed.com. On Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Smart Speaker, and now ad-free on The Athletic, this is The Totally Football Show with James Richardson. Listener, it's the 12th of September. On this day in 1885 was the biggest win in British football history. Woof. Dundee Harp thrashed Aberdeen Rovers 35-0 in the Scottish Cup first round. And they must have felt pretty happy with that. But, remarkably, on that same day it was beaten by Arbroath who did Bon Accord 36-0 in the same competition. Wow. Presumably they had what, like the, there were fans with their radios saying, no, they've scored another, go up, <laughs> push, push, get a 36. Imagine the scenes. Joby, did you ever have a 36-0? Um, I probably did in my uh, Sunday league days, but uh, nice. definitely not, not professionally. I was neither uh, that good or, or that bad, luckily. What's the biggest scoreline you've ever been involved in? Scoreline I've been involved in has to be a seven-five. I don't know if the oh the Arsenal Reading it was uh, Arsenal Reading. Yes, it's probably the biggest loss I've ever given up. So we were four 0 up. I wasn't actually starting. I was being uh, rested because uh, mm. it was a, a Carling Cup game. Although I was obviously desperate to play, we were four 0 up in the first half. Walcott gets one, literally injury time, four-one, and it was just a feeling we should be going in buzzing. You know, we're four-one up against Arsenal. You know, and there was just that little niggly feeling of we've let them get back into it. They get back another one, 4-2. And I remember the gaffer at about 70 minutes turning around to me going, oh, I was captain at the time. He's like, right, you know, get yourself on, steady us down, you know, see us through. Um, so he brings me on about 73 minutes and I'm like, right, let's try and try and get through. We had a bit of a, yeah, steadier time. So we get to sort of 90th minute, I think it's 89th, 90th minute. They get a goal from a corner. 4-3, I'm like, right, we're, we're okay still. Then they get another one, 4 all, and I've just looked round at the gaffer and he's just like, what's the point bringing you on, man? Do you know what I mean? And then they go 5-4 up, it goes to 5-5. Five, five. Then you're looking at, it's definitely going to be penalties. So I'm getting ready mm. for that, deciding where I'm going to stick my one. And then obviously in keeping with the game, 120th minute, they go and get two goals, win the game 7-5. And it's Arshavin, there'll be two minutes of stoppage time. Man in the box if he can get it across. Crazy one to be involved in, obviously gutted at the time. 
Um, and I've got to apologise to the manager for not doing a very good job of, of closing the game out and using that experience. Um, but yeah, really right. you, interesting one. Yeah, very much so. Have you ever watched that back to kind of see what happened? Um, yeah, I have actually. It was just one of those, I think just the momentum. I remember actually in the game itself, even there's there's games that really do stick with you throughout your career. And that was one that you could just, again, that momentum that Arsenal had once they got sort of the third one, which was late. We had, I think mm. it was like five or six minutes injury time and it felt like 90 minutes. It was ridiculous. And it there just seemed inevitability that they were going to get certainly the equaliser. And listen, they were obviously very, very good players. But yeah, um, I can safely say I wasn't at too much fault in terms of any of the goals. So I'll excuse myself on that. Okay. What what was said when you got into the dressing room? Did Did anyone speak? <laughs> um yeah i think there was a lot of um probably just shock it's, it's a weird thing to be involved in i mean the the, the mix of emotions again from being four nil up thinking and i'll be i'll say it here you know you you think the game's done at four nil you know absolutely yeah. and then again getting clawed back and then actually to go on and actually lose the game um but yeah, I think just a bit of shell shock, I've got to be honest. I don't think there's too many of us have been involved in in too many games like that. So um, yeah, just just real disappointment, I suppose. Wow, what a thing. Sorry, sorry I asked. Uh... <laughs> it's funny you say that because actually specific games, I got beaten 6-0, but you do actually push them to the back of the, the memory bank and, and try and forget certain games along the way. But I think, I don't know if Daniel will remember that. It was a long, long time go against Nottingham Forest 2003 I believe it mm. was um, yeah. at the city ground it was a real hide and you, yeah you try to forget them as quickly as you can so do weirdly so do Forest fans because that was like the last hurrah of Forest's chance to get back in the Premier League so we were, we were under Paul Hart at that point we we, we after that 6-0 win and I know Wimbledon were in a bit of a mess at that point we, were. we, we didn't win another home game for four months Paul Hart got sacked, having got us to the playoffs the season before, and then we went down to League One the next season. So that that afternoon kind of sticks with Forest fans as like the kind of last hurrah of I think Harewood scored, Michael Dawson yeah. scored, Andy Reid scored, Wes Morgan, and they all eventually left the club. Dawson and and Reid obviously in the next summer for Spurs. So yeah, we don't remember it that fondly either. So we can we can all move on. <laughs> Good P- proper therapy vibe. This for Joby. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, tell us about tell us about player manager. Yeah. Tell us about your worst defeat. Joby, have you got any really bad childhood memories as well? What's your phobias? <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's interesting you say that because when you're playing, obviously I've only mm. fairly recently retired, and it goes by so quickly. Don't actually have time to reflect on the good or the bad. So again, thank you to everyone here for making me dig out worst worst <laughs> results of my career. It's great. No problem, Joby. No problem at all. Uh, very shortly, we'll be looking back uh, on one of Liverpool's worst results under Jurgen Klopp and what it means for the incredibly delicate clash with Ajax, another side that's recently had their coach nicked, of course, and a host of players too. That's coming up on Tuesday. Before that, though, Jack, I demand an update on Wolves' new signing, Diego Costa. Yeah, it's so it hasn't actually been confirmed. At Has it not? Of speaking, I think it's imminent. There was, okay. there, was, there was a picture of him in a, I think, a private hospital in in Wolverhampton a couple of days ago that was suitably uh, blurry and slightly bleak. Yeah, it was quite low-key, wasn't it? It, it was quite... Ca- it, it, it looked haunted. Yes. Haunted mm. is, was how he looked. But yeah, I think there's... When I first heard of this, I thought, oh, this is just a ridiculous move. But the more I think about it, the more I, th- I think it might be actually 
uh, might have a kind of wildcard logic to it. So he, I mean, the headline is that he's he's played 19 games in 20 months, which isn't great, you know. Mm. How many has he played in the last six months? None. Right. Hasn't played since uh, December. Um, and then when you, when you look at it a bit closer, it actually gets even worse. Only, only 12 of those were starts. And, it, you know, on each of those appearances, I think he averaged something like 52 minutes over 20 months. So it's not, it's not fantastic. But he did have a, an impact when he moved to Atletico Mineiro. Um, so this was last August, almost exactly a year ago. Um, he'd, he'd always wanted to play top flight football back in Brazil, where he was born, obviously, but kind of moved to Europe before playing and uh, kind of helped them secure a historic title, their first title in, in decades. He was kind of, I suppose, seen as the starting striker alongside Hulky. Hulky was the star of the season. So you can imagine those two were probably uh, a joy for defenders <laughs> to play against that strike partnership. Uh, and he was just kind of did normal Diego Costa stuff. He's still kind of pushing defenders around, still physical. I think he's kept pretty fit in the in his two long sabbaticals, um, spent most of that time in Spain, um, you know, just working out by the looks of it. So I think he's still fairly in shape, kind of a few niggling injuries caught up with him in Brazil, didn't score that many goals, but he was he was pretty much loved in a short period of time by the Atletico fans. And yeah, he, he left because I think he, he would have stayed longer if it was only down to the football, but his, his family didn't settle back in Brazil after mm. so long in Europe. So he's been looking for another opportunity here. And yeah, I think of all the kind of slightly uh, non-ideal options Wolves could have gone for outside the transfer window. I, I think it's not a bad, not a bad shout. I don't think he'll, you know, he's not going to score 20 goals, but could chip in and I think his physical presence could make it easier for their other smaller, quicker forwards. I go to war, you come with me. In, well, he, I mean, in Brazil, he, he really he really does buy into this whole, his own myth, you know, at, mm. at his unveiling, I think he said, yeah, and, and if my mum's on the pitch, I'll take her out too. Right. <laughs> Do so Wolves have any plans for... Mrs. Mrs. Costa Senior, yeah. Wolves are due to be home to Man City. Lunchtime this coming Saturday, after which, of course, it's the international break. So, is the suggestion that they will wait maybe till the fixture afterwards when they're going to be at West Ham in order to give him? I've, I've read about kind of a mini pre-season. Yeah, that's what they're talking about. I mean, when he when he went to Atletico Mineiro, he was he made his debut after I think eight or nine days. So, I think he got up to speed quite quickly, which mm. is you know a good sign for Wolves fans. Uh, and Although the, I, the the pace, I mean from what I've seen of the Brazilian first division, not necessarily that of the Premier League. Abs- yeah, absolutely. And he, yeah, kind of the intensity, the speed. I don't think he's going to be anything like the Diego Costa that we saw at Chelsea, but, you know, better than, I don't know, a 19-year-old academy player, maybe better than Fabio Silva, who knows? Possibly you know. so. Mm. This all coming about, of course, because of the really sad injury to Sasa Kaladzic, who uh, picked up an ACL uh a tear, I guess, in in uh, just forty five minutes into his Molyneux career, Raúl Jiménez still struggling with fitness as well. Well, the best of luck. Certainly, Wolves' fixtures have just become a whole lot more intriguing. Jack, I should I should just be a good company man here and say there's more on the Costa move and what Wolves fans can expect uh, on the Athletic. Absolutely. All right. Next up, then, let's get on to Liverpool Ajax. 
This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Totally Football Show European edition is out, especially early this Tuesday morning. Of course, we're going to be looking back on the weekend's action from the continent, the madness in Turin Sunday night as Juve took on Salernitana. Also, shock scenes in the Bundesliga where Union Berlin went top for the first time in their history. And Tuesday morning, we're going to be looking forward to Champions League match day two. There are some juicy games. Man City and Erling Haaland against his old side, Borussia Dortmund, is one. But possibly the most intriguing of all is that crucial second group game for Liverpool, who are taking on Ajax. Liverpool off to their worst start to a season under Jurgen Klopp. Last week, they had their biggest defeat in Champions League history away at Napoli. They absolutely cannot afford to lose this one. But the bad news is that Ajax, right now, look like one of the most dangerous sides in Europe. How? Why? Let's hear now from our man in Holland, Mikael Jongsma. Even hier, moet hij weg loslaten. Kudus, oh, dat is een mooie. De verrassing van de voorbereiding als centrumspits. Mikael, thank you so much for, for joining us again here on the Totally Football Show. How are you? I'm good, James, thanks. How are you? Excellent. Uh, yeah, no, very well, very well. Uh, Ajax are looking good as well, despite losing their manager, Eric Ten Hag, and what, half of last year's first team. They are top of the Eredivisie and on fire in the Champions League, toying with Rangers last midweek on their way to a 4-0 win. I saw one Man United fan asking, how have you done this, Ajax, on social media since we we took your coach and Lisandro uh, Martinez as well? And Ajax replied, they said, it's called philosophy. Yeah, that's that's the one thing we always like to be, isn't it? Like be a bit smug when we're doing well. Um, I mean, it, it is fair. Like what they, they have done a really good job, but I think they have been lucky in a weird way that Ajax, uh, their success kind of unraveled mid-season already last, se- uh, last season when uh, Mark Overmars was, was sent away by the club under, well, let's say circumstances. Um, and Erik ten Hag, his departure was kind of announced already as well. They had a few players of which they knew that they would either not uh, extend their contract or were already um, able to leave on a free. So they had a bit of time to prepare and it was a hectic period. But the the, the main man in organizing all this has stayed and that is Edwin van der Sar. And he has done a, a terrific job and, and really made some astute decisions in, in, in the time since. And when you look at uh, what they've done for for this season... They had a number one candidate as their, um, yeah, for for their for their managerial role in Alfred Schroeder, who they knew already because he was an assistant at the club before. Um, they had identified uh, some really good targets in terms of the the squad as well, and managed to get most of them them in too. And I think the only one thing that they were kind of bumped out by uh, was the Anthony kind of forcing a transfer in the end. Uh, but I think a 100 million euro pack, financial package will kind of uh, soothe that pain as well. So they, they've just had a really good setup. And uh, the, what has been the case with Ajax over the last few years is that quite often when you feel like, OK, they've got a good player here, he, he, he should be staying for another couple of years. Quite often there's another youngster waiting in the wings. And that's kind of what, what is happening at, uh, at the moment right now. So it. They, I, I feel they're in a better place right now than they were in, in the spring, actually. Remarkable. They're coming off a week in which they've had two 4-0 wins and a 5-0 victory just this weekend against Heron there. And, of course, the, the 4-0 against Rangers. Jack, you saw that. Who stood out for you? 
Yeah, hi, Michael. I just wanted to ask you about Mohamed Kudus. Um, it's kind of two years since he got injured against Liverpool. Um, I think that, correct me if I'm wrong, but kind of really disrupted his career. Does he seem to be uh, coming back to the level you expected now? And what can you tell us about uh, how he's been playing? In, in general, he's, he's, he's really... Well, I, I would almost say a bit of a hilarious figure because I, I when I first uh, when I first noticed him, he was in the Danish league still, and he was just dribbling that league just to complete pieces. Um, and when he joined Ajax, he just looked so incredibly gifted already, like a very good dribbler, very very gifted technically. Just yeah, just a very exciting player. And as you said, like um, him being injured kind of threw the whole trajectory into. Into in, into Smithers basically, but um, yeah, at the moment it's I mean, he he almost forced a transfer to Everton because he felt like he wouldn't get a get a spot in in Ajax midfield, and that's most definitely not going to happen at this point because the midfield is is quite set. But the funny thing is that he's really excelling as a striker, and he has that kind of unique, unique blend of of, of just uh, yeah just being a very able dribbler a very intuitive player that is so unpredictable that you feel that even his teammates don't know what he's doing half of the time mm. uh, but it makes it him really difficult to stop and the one thing that I well kind of adore about him is that after his Rangers performance which was really impressive he just looked he didn't even look happy being man of the match because he wants to be a midfielder and he has to play striker now and like almost every kid that you will speak to will say, well, where do you want to play? I want to be a striker. And he is just taking it on like it's this big burden. And uh, he didn't really do himself any favors because he scored twice in the weekend again from the nine position. So I don't know what his end game is in this situation. <laughs> but yeah, he's, he's looking really impressive and he's really giving them something else compared to uh, what Brian Robbie is giving them in that position. And I think like the one thing for him is, can he stay fit? Because the, the football talent is undeniably there. And because he has that kind of burst of pace, that, that dribble, that, that well, ruthlessness in front of goal as well that he's displaying at the moment, there's a lot for him that, uh, that he can... Uh, yeah, just just build on, and with him, it's just a case of just staying fed more than anything. Mm. He's one of those players you you often have to rewind just to see what it is, how he you know how he he's pulled off what he what he's done. It, it, there's a a pass he makes I can't remember who in that Rangers game, which he kind of flicks the ball up and then passes it in midair with the outside of his boot. That is just mind boggling. Yeah, and and that was the funny thing is when you when you explain it like this, people will assume like it's a it's a it's a it's a pass traveling over like 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 dozens of yards or anything, but it was actually in the box if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, it was, it was. very subtle, and that's like the the skill level that he has is just enormous, and I just hope he can find uh, well at least some some joy in playing football again <laughs> as a nine in this attacking team because that will be uh, one of the things that he'll, he'll struggle with apparently. All right. Well, so uh, they're looking really good at the moment, uh, Ajax with Kudas and uh, some of the other new names as well. Six wins out of six in the Eredivisie. Brilliant opening result in the Champions League. Is it fair to say, though, that this at Anfield on Tuesday is by far their toughest test yet? And, and what are you expecting to see? Well, yeah, it is most definitely their toughest test. Although they did lose a game already this season. They lost the, the Super Cup, the Jon Kajuskal against PSV. But that's just in hindsight seems more, more of a fluke than, than an actual <laughs> predictor of their, their season. As it always is, by the way. Uh, yeah, Liverpool is, is very much a challenge for them. And um, I mean, 
I think they're really relishing to go there at this point because they feel like they're in good form. Like the first few games of the season, it was still a bit, yeah, just 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 yeah, getting comfortable with each other on the pitch. But as you say, like they've been just so incredibly impressive over the last uh, week or so. Um, they scored five against Heerenveen, and for most people, it's like, yeah, it's the Eredivisie, but this is a Heerenveen team that had only conceded once in their first five games, and then. Uh, conceded five in one game uh, to even things up so yeah they're they are really exciting and i think the one thing that they're really happy with is that their wing play has been really incredible their uh their fullbacks uh, has have been really attacking so you're you can be quite certain that um that Robertson and Alexander Arnold will be attacked by both the fullbacks and the inside forwards, where Steven Bergwijn, uh, who who is of Spurs infamy, I'd almost say, but has been incredible this season, will most definitely be just an absolute pain for Alexander Arnold to defend. And when you look at the Napoli game, especially Liverpool have been really vulnerable at those wing positions, especially at those back positions. Uh, and it feels like that is where Ajax really want to make the difference in, in this game as well. So, yeah, I think Ajax will be really relishing this test. They're happy to get the uh, three points um, against Rangers so easily. Um, it has become a bit more complicated in this group, I would say, for them, because ideally they'd probably want to see Liverpool just ease through and then... Uh, duke it out with Napoli for second uh, but on the other hand this does seem to open up a lot of um, possibilities for a very exciting IXI mm. Liverpool looked bamboozled uh, last Wednesday by the concept of people uh, attacking them so the idea of that against kind of IX quick passing and movement is it's, it's an intriguing one Daniel you're going along Klopp afterwards was speaking about reinventing Liverpool and Mikel mentioning Robertson and Trent Do, I mean is he going to completely clear out the, the, the back, the back line? My suspicion is that that reinvention was was of more of a a mental thing, a more of a mindset, more of a kind of reset of um, let's remember the principle that got us to this point, rather than I think any huge switch of formation. It's always the the, the big issue for Klopp when his teams suffer slight lapses of form because everything is revolves around confidence and. You know this kind of togetherness and shared communal belief in 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 the process. That if you then change the formation significantly, it's almost saying, well, everything we were doing, you know, it almost suggests that the, that communal belief wasn't enough because it was actually down to tactics. So I, I think he will be guarded against changing things wholesale. Partly because if it doesn't work, then it does send a message that sort of everything is now broken and there's nothing else he can do. Might he not feel Trent needs a rest? Yeah, he could do, but then the, the other option to play there is is either Calvin Ramsey, who is still pretty new and would, I, I presume from what Mikhail says, would face exactly the same test that, that Trent would face, or to put Joe Gomez out there, and Joe had a torrid time in Napoli, so there are reasons to stick with it. I, I, th- I think he will always want to stick with that. I think he will suggest to protect Trent that the midfield is as much to do with Alexander-Arnold's problems as, as the individual, but there's no quick and immediate answer on that midfield anyway. So, yeah, I, I suspect we're going to see Ajax starting from what Mikhail says, start very quickly. And yeah, I can see Liverpool trying to do the same thing, start really quickly and kind of just build up ahead of steam, build up some momentum to kind of pin back the other team, which from a relative neutral point of view makes it a fascinating game. And in some ways, Ajax, because they don't play a kind of low block, etc. defensive 
game could be a good opponent for Liverpool, could play to Liverpool's strengths. I mean, I guess we'll see. What's your prediction, Mikhail? Um, yeah, that's that's always a difficult one. When you're yeah, when you're discussing the the way they're pushing up uh, upfield, you you do feel like this is the game where Sadio Mane is typically missed. Uh, I must <laughs> say, uh, but yeah, I, I mean, I mean, there's there's so obviously still a lot of talent and quality in this Liverpool side, and they have had time to regroup. But I don't think Ajax had had any problems this weekend, so they they will be really fresh as well. Um, yeah, this, this kind of feels like it could be a really entertaining draw if, if I'm looking at it as it is, which would be a, a heartening result, I would say, in this situation for both teams. Mm, brilliant. Well, a draw might leave Liverpool with one or two, uh, one or two concerns after this, the start they've made, but uh, it would be better than what happened to them last week, of course. Mikael, that's, that's brilliant. I uh, hope you enjoy the game and, and, and look forward to catching up with you soon. Will do. Angisa with a forward ball. Beautifully played as well. Here's Simeone Zielinski. Alisson with a save. 4-0. Napoli can't believe this. They've torn Liverpool apart again. Joby, you're a Liverpool fan. Yes. How would you line them up against Ajax on Tuesday? Oh, good question. And I've got to say, if you, we've already touched on my harrowing experiences in terms of yes. uh, biggest defeats on the pod. Now you're asking me to relive that and I've actually had to watch the goals back from the Napoli game and I think yeah. if you could sum up what was wrong with with Liverpool right now that was it there's a real lack of intensity a bit of a, a lack of desire to want to defend if I'm being honest everyone talks mm. about Trent Alexander-Arnold and I'm a big fan of his certainly going forward I certainly feel defensively it's just again the mentality that Dan touched on that is the big thing for me there just seems to be a lack of desire at times to want to do the horrible bits, which is basically trap people back, run back. I mean, some of the times they've got down certainly that right-hand channel, you know, a couple of goals recently, you know, Trent Alexander-Arnold, I've had harder times getting around the mannequin in training. I definitely feel there's an issue there. Same with Virgil van Dijk. You know, he had this air of invincibility at one point where people would actually be scared to take him on. And now you've got centre-forwards going, right, you know, I'm going to go and get after him. And I just think that's really something that's spread across that back four. Joe Gomez, again, you know, when he's at it, is a, a good player, good defender, but he looks a million miles off it now. So how would I approach it? Probably 10 at the back at the moment and just say, <laughs> right, let's just see it out. You know, we know Jurgen Klopp's not going to do that. And again, that's a little bit where I am concerned because it just seems for Liverpool at the moment, how do we get out of trouble? We're just going to go and attack even more. And when mm-hmm. you're playing against top quality opposition, like we saw against Napoli, you will get punished. And I think there does need to be a bit of a reset. And it's not to say don't make Trent go forward as much, or but just a little bit more focus on that defensive element. Conceding goals first, a lot of the time is not helping because then you are chasing games and invariably you are then going to be more open and more susceptible to getting caught, particularly on the counter. Um, so yeah, big, big issues. I, I, and I am genuinely concerned from from what I've seen, certainly of late. Be tough not to be really after last Wednesday's performance. Of course, Liverpool will have some extra time to try and get themselves back together, having not had to face a fixture this weekend. Well, there'll be more Champions League build-up to Tuesday and Wednesday's group stage match day two fixtures in our Euro show, which is our extra early Tuesday morning this week with James and Julian and Rafa and Alvaro. Uh, that though brings us to the end of this Totally Football show. So many thanks to Joey, to Jack, 
to Daniel, producer Charlie, and you listener. Do join us again Tuesday and Thursday when we review the midweek action. But now, from all of us here, it's goodbye. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Listen ad-free on the Athletic app and discover bonus content by following the Athletic UK Audio Plus on Apple Podcasts. Find out the very latest subscription offers at theathletic.com slash totally. The Athletic.